Keepers of the Flame, the classic metal podcast with Rev Taylor and Darren Wall. Reviews, interviews, and conversation since 2021. Hello and welcome back after, oh God, who even knows how long it's been since the last time we did one of these. It was definitely last year. It was probably early last year. I don't, I couldn't even tell you off the top of my head, but we are back with another episode of Keepers of the Flame, the classic metal podcast, your source for all things old school metal, new things that sound old school, all things nerdy, fun, and uh, yeah, here we go. Um, so it's uh, it's a Sunday evening. We're, we're recording this in uh, the cloudy and dreary Pacific Northwest. Um, my name is Darren. My co-host Rev always as with you. How you doing, man? Doing well. I've uh, I don't have any beers tonight, so I kind of invented a podcasting drink, and I've got some peppermint tea with a couple shots of homemade limoncello that I have in my freezer. It's been nice. in there for. For years, a boat captain gave it to me in payment for helping to tune his rigging. So, uh, <laughs> it's a little yeah. cool story, cooler story than mine. I have some orange Gatorade because I was in Vegas all week and then I went to Candlemass on Friday night in Seattle. And so I need to dry out basically. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm rehydrating and recuperating and waiting for the work week to begin. It was definitely more excess than I'm used to in my 40s. But, and I guess we should get, you know, t- talk to our listeners a bit about, you know, where we've been and why we haven't been podcasting. Um, you know, and the honest answer to that is that last year was a really difficult year for us as a band. And, you know, that kind of took all focus away from stuff like this to just basically us getting our ourselves back on track. I mean, we had everybody knows kind of our story dating back to the incident in Boise. Well, that legal stuff all came to a head last year that was a lot for us to deal with you know there was you know a, a lot of stress and a lot of tensions within our group which we're not going to go too into because ain't nobody's business but um yeah we basically had to focus on getting our band back on tracks which i'm happy to say that we definitely did and we're back and feels like we're stronger than ever with with Greyhawk. i mean we just we still had a busy year last year didn't we though i mean oh yeah i mean and that's just that's just the band stuff i mean you and I both are living in new places um, compared with where we were when we started this podcast. And now you're living over here in Bremerton. So you've got a new uh, room to be podcasting in. So, uh, yeah, we're having to kind of reinvent the wheel every time we go through a big change like that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we're going to, but, you know, we're, like I said, we had played a lot of festivals last year, too. And, um, you know, we, we just got back from a run in Europe playing a really cool festival in Germany and getting over there for the first time. And, you know, we're taking, we're trying to figure out our next full length album. So just, it's been really busy, but things are calming down now and they're getting back to where they should be. And, you know, the bands all have a lot of fun again, which is really cool. So we figured, we got to talking about it and we figured, well, we live in the same damn town now. So this probably shouldn't be as hard. We're still not in the same place. We plan to try to podcast in the same place at some point once we can figure the technology, but neither one of us are tech wizards. So, right. And then neither one of us wanted to go outside today because it was just, pouring sad rain all yeah. afternoon there's people don't understand that if you don't live in this area i mean and then the peninsula rains a little bit harder than the main part of seattle does mm-hmm. i think the only other part that rains harder is that like valley where you know up, up north um 
just shy of Bellingham when you're kind of going up to Canada. There just seems like it's always rain there, and it's just brutal. But there's a certain darkness to rainfall here that can hit that really just makes you not want to leave the house. Yeah. But, That's why there's so much doom metal gets made here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and it's why people show up to doom bands like, oh my God, the crowd for Candlemass on Friday. I'm telling you, man, it was it was insane. Um, they needed a bigger venue. That place was yeah. just wildly packed. And it's they did the same damn thing that El Corazon does, you know, where and a lot of other venues I've seen. I don't know if anybody out there has seen this, where a venue has two rooms, so they can theoretically sell more tickets than the main room the band's going to be can fit because it doesn't violate fire code. So, you know, they can make more money that way, but a lot of people get screwed out of seeing the band in any shape or form apart from like, you know, around the corner or from another room, which you're in the hallway, listening to the vibrations through the wall, you know, exactly. And, you know, for me, I'm a bigger dude. I can kind of push my way in, but some people kind of had to hang on the other room and they had it playing on their big screen, which was kind of cool, but the audio was, delayed by a few seconds so it was huh. it was weird i mean it was cool it was so cool but i just thought that that was a little bit of a strange choice i'd prefer if venues were a little more responsible with how packed they fill a room to give people the concert experience they want when they pay the harder money but you know well in a in a time of venue famine beggars can't be choosers absolutely we're you know us here we've had several clothes um over the past year, but you know, when one closes or two close or three close is the case here, you know, usually some pop up and become the new place and kind of take over. So, um, I guess that's kind of what this is all about is new beginnings today. You know, we're starting this over and we're gonna try to condense our format down to you know, an hour under an hour or so, and we're gonna try to be a little more concise and just be a little bit better about doing regular stuff for you guys because people have been asking so. Um, yeah, I guess here we go, and we're going to start our segment off with our album of the week picks. So, Mr. Rev, I'm going to defer to you to get this started. Yeah, well, as you mentioned, Darren, we recently got back from Europe, um, and it was pretty fun to do some listening and exploring the music over there. Um, I took a little side trip after we saw Man of War in the Czech Republic uh, to Slovakia, because I've got some heritage there, and... Uh, Kind of in order to dig into that and learn some more about the language and culture, I, you know, did what someone like me does and like finds a bunch of old vintage records and strange rabbit holes to to dive into uh, to find some music that we don't get to hear every day here in the U.S. So um, probably be the first of a number of uh, bands from that region that I'm talking about. But um, today's album is kind of the first Slovak record I bought, and it's. The album Jerovez Namenia Osuru by the band Tublatanka. We will make sure to spell this all for you, you all who are listening. Yeah. So if you want to get this album that Rev's talking about, you'll be able to Google it. Yep. Yep. Jerovez uh, is the first word. It, it, it starts with the Z with a little hat on it. Um, but I think if you're Googling it, you can just, uh, if you write Tublatanka, Z probably the first thing that comes out, but Jerovez Namine Osuru means uh, like blazing sign of destiny. Nice. So uh, we've got the album cover here. It's uh, black with kind of a out of focus flame, and we've got the band's logo uh, rendered in glistening, freshly forged metal. So um, this is a pretty interesting band. They were active in the uh, Czech and Slovak music scene from the early 80s. Um, at a time when there really were not a lot of 
hard rock bands uh, at all. You know, it was, I think, difficult to play Western music um, under the communist regime there. I think as the 80s went on, it got along a little bit easier. But um, that's kind of the first thing I'll say about like investigating music from this period and that location at all is it just took a certain amount of courage to kind of be a rock musician in the first place because there's a certain amount of resistance you're going to get from the powers that be. Um, and so and maybe in part for the, that reason, this doesn't really sound like anything else. Um, it's a it's basically, a you know, a, a hard rock album, but it's got this kind of odd primitive sound that doesn't really sound like anything else I could point to. It's a three piece. Um, bass guitar and drums and the guitar like one of the first things I noticed is the guitar has this weird kind of tone it's kind of like clangy um, tone and it's it's almost as though the guitar is like a hair out of tune which you know sounds like something that would immediately turn someone off and at first it, it took me a minute to get used to but eventually I realized it's supposed to be that way and I'm not really sure what they were going for but it's one of the reasons it doesn't really sound like anything else because it's like the guitar is treated in a very different way. And it's part of what gives it this kind of like primitive um, kind of proto metal feel. And um, this is in the late eighties, uh, politically, the, the communist regime fell uh, in 1989, the year after this was released. And um, it's kind of a significant aspect of, of listening to this too is um, this band was really active in performing like in all these giant rallies and stuff they had um kind of bringing down the um the regime there and a big part of that was a song from this record called prauda vityatsi which means truth wins and um it's poking fun at the official state motto of the uh, Czechoslovak People's Republic at the time, which was yeah, Prada Vitezi, truth wins or truth is victorious. Um, but of course, you know, your average people by that point realized that the government was not really being truthful in any way. And so there was a lot of irony just in pointing out that that's the motto. Um, but the song is actually really cool. It's this anthem about how, you know, truth always does win kind of no matter what you try to do, because it's reality, you know, no matter how much you try to hide it, no matter how, matter, how much you try to like, you know, buy a, a new truth for yourself, like the actual truth perseveres as long as you don't betray it yourself. So it's, it's a cool message. Uh, and I think it's a great song. It's got this great galloping kind of, um, you know, Iron Maiden influenced vibe to it. It's built around this long melody, it's super catchy. Um, definitely worth checking out. I think, um, Apparently the song was featured in the movie Hostel, the horror movie about like, I don't know, kidnapping and torturing backpackers or something. <laughs> it's it a really weird, sound like... weird movie I've seen in a long time. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't really have too much interest in checking it out, but apparently this song is on the soundtrack somewhere. Uh, a couple other good tracks on here. There's uh, the title track, Jedevez Namnia Osuru, is very much like Halloween influenced um, power metal kind of vibe with a big chorus. Uh, this band's rhythm section is really what makes it have a kind of heavy and dark feel. The drummer, um, I'm very impressed by this guy, Duro Cerny, um, who's just got a huge tone. Kind of reminds me a little bit of a, 
uh, Vinny Apice kind of in that way, just because the drums just sound so huge and like throaty, you know, and then the, the impact of the snare you can really feel even on um, this older recording, which is cool. And the, the bassist too is a, um, just has a great tone. And, uh, you know, this is not an album where the rhythm guitars are filling out the solo sections or anything. It's very much like sounds like a live three piece pretty much all the way through. Um, so uh, also the first track, Prisiel Moichas, kind of sets the, the tone for the whole album. Uh, it's kind of a brooding, slower, kind of doomier song. Um, and just as an example of how listening to music can help you learn language. Um, Prisiel Moichas means my time has come. And he says in the lyrics that my time has come. Uh, musim East, I must go. Uh, at one point when I was over there in Slovakia, I was kind of chatting with someone at a train station in very basic Slovak. And I realized my train was about to come. I couldn't really think of anything to say. I couldn't think of how to say my train is here or anything more complex. So I just said, my time has come and I must go. <laughs> and he seemed to understand it. It might have been a weird way to put it. But um, so, yeah, if you're getting into Dubotanka, I highly recommend there's a video on YouTube. It's uh, live in Bratislava, 1989. They play a lot of songs from this album. Um, and you just kind of get a sense of the the really vibrant, palpable energy of that time in European history um, as communism was falling and as you know, people in Czechoslovakia were, you know, I'm sure very excited about the possibilities of what might be coming, but also frightened, uh, also uh, just overwhelmed and not knowing what to feel. And you can kind of get a sense of that atmosphere watching this concert. Um, so uh, yeah, I highly recommend watching the uh, live in Bratislava 1989 uh, and checking out this record, which fortunately you can find on Spotify, Apple Music, everywhere. I mean, there's so much of this old stuff that would be impossible to learn about without the internet that we can easily just with the touch of a button listen to um so i could go on and on about this i've, I've dug pretty deep into you know translating the lyrics kind of learning about how this stuff was made but i we don't have time to go deep into it but i just want to get that on on some people's radar Tublatanka, who is kind of carrying the flag for heavy metal and hard rock in slovakia in the 80s there's still like a household name over there uh, i talked to some people about it bought some records, uh, you know, even people who don't really listen to metal say that, oh, Tublatanka, like the Metallica of Slovakia, I heard some people say. Um, and uh, just worth listening to, I think, just for the sake of, like I said, the courage it took to kind of get involved and to commit to this type of music in those days uh, under those conditions. And they made some pretty cool stuff happen because this, this record's not really like anything else. Uh, it's got some some great moments, got some exciting moments, and um, uh, yeah, uh, happy to know about it and to uh, pass on the obscure heavy metal wisdom. Cool, man. Well, again, we will make sure that title is written in the description of this podcast so our listeners who don't speak Slovak can mm -hmm. go ahead and find it. Um, my pick is not obscure at all. I was just really excited to find this the other week. An original pressing on vinyl is Machine Head by Deep Purple. I mean, it's obvious that it's kind of their obvious album. It's their biggest album, but it's also, you know, that, that way for a reason. 
And I was really hyped that I found this original pressing at Georgetown Music in Seattle for a very good price, and it's pretty much undamaged. So I'm just nice. really hyped on it, and it kind of made me revisit this album because it's something, you know, these classic albums, these big, big classic albums, as you go on in your life, you know, you kind of find your your, fa your favorite, you know, you, you dig a little deeper in these ones that maybe were the gateway ones for you, you don't pay as much attention to, but you know, they're big for a reason. So if you're not familiar with Deep Purple, I mean, they're one of the bands credited with, you know, being at the forefront of the heavy metal scene in the 70s when it was kind of being, you know, they're, they're not necessarily a metal band. They kind of are credited with their riffing and their soloing and how they kind of made things louder and faster as being one of the godfathers of the genre. So this album came out in March of 1972. It was their sixth album at this point. Um, they recorded this one in Switzerland at the Grand Hotel and Casino in Montreux. And Montreux, I think, is, is where it was recorded. Um, and that kind of ties into the lyrics of the big song on this one, which is Smoke on the Water, obviously. It's one of the most... Yeah, it's one of the most iconic riffs of all time. And, you know, I heard Richie Blackmore talking about it and saying that he likes... He wrote that riff. Basically, he wanted a four-chord riff that kind of was... Um, I forget which Beethoven symphony he was basing it on, but that's literally like where he took it, where he, where he took it from. Um, Beethoven's fifth, I think, was the one, but he said basically like the opening musical phrasing of that is similar and that it really is just based around four notes and they just kind of repeat over and over again. Mm -hmm. um, and that one, of course, you know, it, it, you listen to the lyrics and it's about a show that Frank Zappa was doing there with another band and some one in the audience shoots off a flare gun and they didn't know that the hotel had like a bamboo ceiling in it um, and it lit the whole place up and it was evacuated. And I guess they were recording at this hotel casino and they used the Rolling Stones had a mobile studio. That's what they were using to record it. This is so the story goes. Um, but I think all that kind of just contributes to the folklore of this album. Um, but apart from that, I mean, the other two big ones are obviously Highway Star and Space Trucking. Those are both, you know, just amazing, iconic Deep Purple songs. Um, you know, the other ones, maybe I'm a Leo, Pictures of Home, Never Before, Lazy. I mean, this is, God, man, this is like a, it's it's an, it's a flawless, indestructible, bulletproof album that just, you know, it'll be a classic forever and ever and ever. And, you know, it really showcases, um, you know, some of Richie Blackmore's guitar, best guitar playing um, is on this record. And, yeah, just kind of how Ian Gillen had a, he has like a, a flair for really cool but off-kilter lyrics a lot. Um, mm. I always kind of enjoy his his songs are always kind of written about real life experiences, whether they're like really deep introspective stuff or, you know, just some stupid stuff he did when he was drunk. You know, it's like he he always seems to like to write about things that happen in his real life. But I mean, again, it's an obvious pick, but this is one of the cornerstones of the genre. So I just kind of felt like showcasing this this album, um, she had and talking a little bit about it. I remember the only, the first time I saw Deep Purple. I'm trying to remember what year this was. It was the early 2000s, 01 or, or 2000 or 2001. I got to see them with Thin Lizzy and they played this album front to back. And one of my favorite out, the things of that, of that show was it was a classic concert. It was a classic theater seated show. It wasn't GA or anything. And me and my buddy were standing up and rocking out for the whole show. And he's like, old guys behind us. We're probably going to say old guys. I'm, probably, I'm the same age now that they probably were back then. They tap us on the shoulder and we're like, can you guys sit down? We were just like, oh, 
<laughs> what are you talking about, dude? They're playing Highway Star. You stand up because uh, I don't know. I, I get that we all get older. Maybe one day I'll want to sit down when I see one of my favorite bands. But that day is not today. Um, and that was 20 years ago. So, yeah, I mean, if you don't know, um, some people, like I said, out there, they listen to this podcast. They don't. They just like hearing us talk about music. They don't really know about metal. If you don't know Machine Head by Deep Purple, please, please, please go tomorrow and find this record somehow, either physically or digitally, because it's some everyone needs this in their collection. It's a classic for a reason. So yeah, Deep Purple Machine Head, my album of the week. I think it's impossible to overstate like how influential Deep Purple was, especially in Europe. And I think having been over there recently and talked to some people and having, you know, been researching a lot of these bands uh, that started up in the, in the early eighties, like I think deep purple was like the band, especially for people in, you know, Germany and the Eastern Bloc. And I'm not sure exactly why that is, but um, you know, if you, if you read about like the formation of any number of bands in Europe, like the chance is good that they're bonding over deep purple. If you read the origin story, it's like, they just, they started talking about deep purple and decided, you know, and I even like remember my dad telling me a story of when, when he went over, um, and I guess the like early, early eighties, he, he went to Europe and like took a train around. He said he, he has this vivid memory of, uh, he ended up this tiny town in Germany and ended up staying the night with a cop because he didn't really know where to stay. And the cop just like took him into his house and just like has this vivid memory of driving in the car with the cop who is singing along full blown smoke on the water, fire in the sky. You know? awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> I think, you know, the, the, to that end, I mean, I think that the fact that Deep Purple never really had any of the super dark or occult imagery associated with them probably helped them be a little more prolific in the Eastern parts of mm-hmm. Europe, because I mean, that was a, a lot of it. I mean, anything that was considered like mildly satanic or dark or occult was definitely not going to get heard in those parts. Right. Uh, you know, both do both to like, you know, the communist aspect and, you know, the heavy Orthodox church influence over there. Like it was just probably not going to get headways. Whereas Deep Purple never got into that game. And as a matter of fact, when Ian Dillon got in Fall of the Sabbath, he mentioned like that he literally wasn't comfortable with all a lot of that imagery. So, um, yeah, that could be one of the reasons. But yeah, mm-hmm. they definitely are, you know, really, really big in the eastern in in, in the eastern parts of Europe. That's for sure. Um, yeah, I think in, in just in Europe in general, probably more than in America. Even though, of course, they're a big deal here. But yeah, yeah absolutely. So. All righty. Well, that's that was our our picks of the week to like kind of polar opposite things, but we kind of managed to bring it all back together and connected at the end. That was kind of cool and unplanned. So. Um, we will move on from that um, to our album that we're going to review this week. And this week we have a band from Sweden called Air Raid. Um, and Air Raid's been around for a while. Um, they're a band that's been on my radar, but I haven't um, really dug into their catalog yet. So this is kind of my first foray into their music as far as like a dive into a full album. And this album is called Fatal Encounter. And it's only been out a couple of weeks. This came out on the 24th of February on High Roller Records. Um, great, great uh, record label. Um, you know, Air Raid has several um, albums to their credit. Um, and this is, of course, the most recent one. It has nine tracks. Two of those tracks are actually cover songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them is a quick little instrumental. So there's not a whole lot of original music here. Um, 
but even with the covers and that it's it's i think it's a very well executed very cool album um with a wicked wicked production job um it's slick and it's shiny but it's not too uh it's not phony um and that's um a big part of that is peter engel a guy named peter engel mastered this um and peter engel is especially known for his mastering and especially mm. he, he's especially known for mastering stuff for vinyl um He's got album credits like uh, Middle of Road, Destruction, uh, Amana Marth, Sierra Thungal, Exumer. Um, actually, that Hidden album that we that we reviewed last year, he was oh, yeah. involved in that one too. So that, that that's kind of what we're looking at here. Um, this this album gave me major Saxon vibes. Um, you know, what tinged with a good amount of power metal, lots of Malmsteen moments on this one. I mean, they're Swedish, so that tracks. Yeah. Uh, but I think before we get into the music, I've got to talk about this album cover for a minute. Oh, yeah. Because it's, uh, it's a little wild. Well, it does kind of let you know exactly what you're getting into because this is, you know, everything about the, the graphic presentation and, and really the music, too, is kind of a throwback to that time in 80s metal when you could kind of have that anything goes, like, we're a band, we're going to sing love songs, we're going to sing, you know, songs about the streets, we're going to sing more like epic heavy metal stuff uh and and it's kind of just focused on the music so it makes sense that we'd have i guess a chrome guitar space battleship uh vaporizing some unknown target on the cover yeah. um <laughs> it seems to be what's going on we've got like it it's like a it's kind of like a flying v but it's like mounted on top of some other kind of chrome structure that has these big guns on it. And then there's a, a laser sight uh, kind of up where like the pickup switch might be. And I guess the guns are using that laser sight to blow some enemy into smithereens. Uh, perhaps, I don't know if this is like an anti-aircraft guitar or if it itself is also flying. I don't know, but it definitely fits into the, the kind of a well-worn groove of uh, guitar-themed album covers. Yeah. Um, the the Def Leppard all through the night comes to mind with like the you know space yeah. the truck or whatever it is. Yeah. Call him the space guitar. Yeah. Um, I guess Rainbow right between the eyes comes to mind too with the guitar bursting out of somebody's head. It's definitely like a, a an action packed um, guitar focused kind of yeah. If you said this, this album cover was from '85, I believe you. Yeah. It, and it's it does remarkably well describe what you're going to find inside too like it actually it sums it up pretty well yeah <laughs> absolutely it does and that was just one of the, that was one of the things that caught me about it when i kind of suggested this one i was like okay i kind of need to know what's going on in here and you know that's a kind of that's a strategy that bands use sometimes and i'd say that you know we kind of use it on keepers of the flame it's not like the album company I mean, the album cover for keepers of the flame our guy jesse did a great job it's a great painting but it is wild <laughs> you know it's not like um it, it's it's brash it's loud and it's it's eye-catching and that was the idea you know we did we weren't setting out to make something that's going to be hung in the louvre it was to be make somebody pick that up and go i need to know what the hell's happening on this <laughs> yeah. you know and that was the kind of response that i had to this one i was like okay that's that's a bold move there i need to know what the hell's going on inside here and you know what we're getting is like exactly what's advertised. It's classic stuff. Um, you know, again, like like pretty much like every band we're gonna we're gonna review on this 
um, this podcast, it's not like they're reinventing the wheel. That doesn't necessarily matter, though. I mean, I think they do enough to put their own spin on things that it's not really um, overly derivative. Um, and it's really just a lot of fun. I don't know what you thought. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's a, you know, it's, it's a nice and short album, like you said. I mean, I think it's 37 minutes total runtime. And, and like you said, that's two covers and a little musical interlude. So um, it's it's pretty tightly focused, which I think suits it. Like it would, we don't need to hear 15 tracks of this uh, in one album. It's just, it, it gets in and out really quickly, um, does what it wants to do really effectively. And, um, you know, gives our ears a treat in the meantime, because it's it's produced really well and, and well played. I mean, the musicianship on the album is fantastic too. Yeah, it's concise, I would say. Like it's, yeah. it's, it feels like they, they, they made this album and they kind of, they planned it out. They were, there's not really like any big long epics or ballads or dynamics or not a huge thing here, but they just like, we're going to come in and write six or seven bangers. And they threw a couple of covers in, which is a bold move. Um, and you know, what we got is something that is an album that's really easily digestible and it's really fun to listen to. So let's kind of get into it. Um, you know, the first track here is called Thunderblood. Um, and that's a hell of a way to start a record with a track called Thunderblood. Um, and you hear the name of the song right away, which is something yep. these guys seem to like to do. They like to kind of establish the the name, the hook of the song, and right at the beginning, it starts with a really catchy riff, which winds up being the core chorus riff, and it's just the chanting of thunder blood, you know, over and over again. And they're kind of really, I mean, you know what you're gonna get, what you're gonna get. You get that, and you get a tasty little lead break, and then after that, the verses and the, the verse, the vocals kick in. And singer here is um I think he, he sounds really technically proficient to me. He's got a cool voice. Uh, he's kind of like, he kind of reminds me of a more melodic, cleaner Biff from Saxon. Uh, yeah. In the way he kind of phrases things. Yeah, uh, I was I was impressed overall. I mean, it's uh, just pretty much solid execution front to back from the vocals. Just a classic, um, you know, uh, sort of mid-range tenor, head voice mixed in classic rock and roll heavy metal sound um kind of reminds me of jefflin turner a little bit was the first name that came to mind and that's like a comparison absolutely yeah um and uh so just as a side note like it took me a while to remember that it was jefflin turner that i was thinking of because i don't know if anyone else feels this way but like when someone has three names i just can't remember that shit i just like <laughs> If you want me to forget your name, just like have three names, especially if there's like, if two of them are relatively normal names, like if your name is like Joe Thunderblood Johnson, then I'll probably remember that. But if you're like, you know, like Joe Lynn Turner and Jeff Scott Soto, like it took me a minute, you know, to remember that those are two separate people because they both like have three names that start with J and sing on Yngwie albums. You know? I wonder what they, I wonder what, maybe Yngwie made them do that because he used the the J initial for a while. Yeah, right. Like, only, like he was the Homer Simpson. He kind of is the Homer Simpson to heavy metal in a lot of <laughs> Except he doesn't like donuts. And we learned that from the from, from Dimebag back in the day. Um, so, but yeah, that, that is weird though. I mean, I wonder if it's a cadence thing, a syllable thing. Like they feel like they need that extra syllable in there if their name just has three. Yeah, I, I, I guess. I don't know. I mean, it's it's a problem I have in, in opera singing, too. There's a lot of, like, singers. Like, there's a guy, Anthony Michaels Moore and Anthony Wolf Johnson. And I can never remember. It's like, I just, they all get mixed up in my head because they just go in, like, the mental bucket of three 
three names. I don't know. But anyway, I, regardless, I did eventually come up with Joe Lynn Turner, and I think he does have a little bit of that going on. There's some other singers who sing with a similar technique too, but um, but yeah, I didn't really have any complaints. I mean, it's all very proficient. Um, diction's pretty good, you know. English is pretty good from everything I heard. Um, you know, overall, I think the effect, especially on this first track, was like remind me of Hammerfall, but with like a little bit more hairspray. Yeah, I hear you. So there's there, there's a, there's a good amount of that. There's a, there's actually when you dig deep. I mean, these songs are all familiar sounding, but when you dig deep, there is some a lot of little things going on here. Um, I really like the pre-chorus in this song with like a thunder in my blood part where they're kind of yeah. leading to it, you know, which is a nice play on that word again. It's fun. It makes it familiar. Like it's it's just a simple song, um, but it's it's effective. It's fun. It's awesome. Um, it's just something I put on my gym playlist. You know, like that's. That's the kind of track this one is. Absolutely, yeah. So, yeah, so we're off to the right. We're off to the right start here. Um, next, next up comes Lionheart, and I am sick of songs called Lionheart. I can think of a whole bunch of them off the top of my head, but yeah. we don't need any more. There's certain like names for songs that we just like don't need any more of them. Like there's there's a million there's a million of these songs before. There's albums called Lionheart. I mean, I'm guessing this was about King Richard again. I don't know. I didn't dig deeply into the lyrics, but I'm like, um, yeah. The, I mean, it's not maybe just about it's about courage based on him. Uh, it's just like I don't know that we need any more songs called Lionheart. I know five off the top of my head. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely evokes a lot of that imagery. It, it doesn't seem like it's specifically about that, but there's a little bit of like crusades type imagery talking about a holy cause and surviving final crusade silent prayer like it, it it has some of those those vibes but aside from that it's a fun song yeah absolutely um, the song rules i think yeah. it's funny that it starts off with some like sampled lion sound effects yeah <laughs> although it's like it's not like lions full out roaring it's like sort of lions sort of comfortably purring <laughs> yeah. they, they sound pretty happy to me like some happy like lions, happy lions. <laughs> like, i don't know if you've ever heard have you ever heard like a lion full-on i've been roar? to the presence of one it's terrible yeah it, I was yeah on yeah feet from a lion it roared and every other animal in the zoo i was in was quiet like, yeah yeah there's a, a like a big cat rescue place up in northern colorado where i used to go and like one time i saw just a couple of the male lions like i don't know i guess play fighting but they were like turning up this massive cloud of dust and when they were roaring it was literally like there's like a little catwalk thing you walk out on to go see them it was like shaking this like structure and was standing on with the power of those roars so these um, are maybe the songs maybe this is about happy cats i don't know maybe yeah. I, I didn't honestly pay attention to the lyrics too much um but yeah again this is a great song this ventures a little bit more into the power metal realm i'd say than the first yeah. um riffs are very tight they're very straightforward um I think the vocals are particularly good on this one. They're very effective in creating a nice melody um, around the simple riffs. Um, the riffs kind of just give this guy a platform to really sing more than anything on this one. They don't really drive the melody. Um, you know, the great chorus again, they have the lyrics steel on steel on, in this one, so that endears it to me. Um. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's super catchy. Um, one little touch that I liked is when it comes out of the pre-chorus into the chorus, um, there's just this little moment where they raise the melody like a half step from where you think it would go and basically make, take a minor third, make it into a major third. And it just kind of 
gives it this little shiny kind of major chord quality when it's on Lionheart. Because it's it's cruising along on a minor key and you expect Lionheart. Da, da, da. Oh, yeah, yeah. But the, he raises it a half step when we get Lionheart. And it just like, it just gives it that little bit of interest. It's like that little bit of funkiness, um, you know, like the truffle oil. Yes. Or something <laughs> that just like, it's really, that's the stuff that, that really keeps me coming back. The sea salt song is yeah, like the seasoning, those little moments. It don't have to go like over the top with being progressive or in inventing a whole new harmonic structure, but you can just like add a little bit of spice and color here and there in unexpected places, and it really gives the song a distinct character. For um, sure, 100%. and that's that's something I really appreciated that they just that little touch on the chorus really makes the whole thing shinier and uh and, and more interesting to listen to i really like in the three-quarter mark how it drops out and there's like a little drum and bass break before the guitar solo um mm -hmm. it really is nice for those two guys to get some highlights on this record because the rhythm section is super tight on this in this band they yeah. sound awesome they're really locked in they know how to play play music with each other the solo here is particularly awesome and that um that tone is really good. I mean, I, I know I in previous reviews I've been bitching about people's guitar tones. This one, you know, it's not overly saturated with effects, but it's not bone dry. It doesn't just sound like a Jackson through a PV. It's it's got a it's, it's got a cool tone to it. And at the end, it even ends with some like Ingve style like neoclassical bits towards the end of this. Right. So yeah, this this one, you know, again, I, I I'm not a fan of the title, but you know, we can get past that and realize that we just got a dope song here. So. Yeah, all in all, I mean, I think it's a great one-two punch, the first couple tracks on this album. Yeah, for sure. Um, then the next one we have is In Solitude, which is, I guess, an in, <laughs> just to avoid the you know copyright infringement on a fellow Swedish band that I have <laughs> on, on Friday. Um, but again, the name of the song, like, starts, I think it starts the song, if I'm not mistaken. Like, they just start the song with the lyric, In Solitude. Um, so... What? Yeah, I would say they definitely foreground it to the point where it's it's in your head. Exactly. Um, We're establishing it here. Um, there's a little bit more swing to this one. Um, yeah, it's a little a little lower tempo. It's not quite a ballad, but it's more sparse and a little bit like you know it, it's it's it contrasts to the earlier songs because of that. It's a little bit slower. It's a little bit moodier, uh, yeah. but still a driving driving song. Although the lyrics are definitely like breakup lyrics yeah it's not pretty... not not ashamed of it um Get a little uh, so, here. A little yeah yeah exactly like it, it's it pushes it a little bit farther away from the power metal a little bit yeah more towards the the dock and more towards the uh the pop metal kind of space yeah great chorus again um i really like the the there's a lot of like baumstein-esque kind of lead breaks in this song they're they're just kind of like they're, they're, they're subtle, they're almost in the background sometimes, but they add a nice little transition to certain parts. They fill the gap where otherwise, again, this is the spice you're talking about. This yeah. is how you take a song that's five minutes and you keep it interesting for those five minutes. Um, uh, yeah, I will say, like, the thing that stuck out the most to me about this one was the guitar solo. Yeah, um, that was great. That was great. The, the, the solo was terrific. It's, I think this was probably the best solo on the record. Yeah, time. it's got multiple sections. It might be Maybe both guitarists actually. I'm not sure, but it. I love the the kind of first section of the solo where you get that more kind of halting uh, uh, approach as it's kind of starting up. But it's very it's very emotional. It's a little slower. 
Um, and I, I really liked it. Change the pace. It's not just shredding. It's a much more kind of emotional expressive style of playing that kind of gradually turns into shredding as it builds up. Um, and which is, again, not reinventing the wheel. It's a classic approach to a guitar solo, but it's just done so well. And, um, you know, as a, you know, as a, as a prog guy and like an Opeth fan, I really love those moments where you just get those like kind of weeping, uh, somewhat clean guitar tones and just like the perfect fret bend that kind of breaks your heart. And that's what this solo had going on. So I was really impressed with that. Yeah. I also really liked the um, kind of the, it's almost like the, the riff. In the, I'm not sure it wasn't written this way, although it may have been, I don't know. I wasn't in the room, but the riffing in the chorus really accents the vocal hook nicely. It's yeah. a bit like sparse and it kind of starts and stops, but it all just lines up really perfectly. And to me, that created that chorus is really memorable in this one. So this this song was a highlight for me. Um, and then after in solitude, we move on to See the Light, which is a cover song. And this is the first time, and this might be the first album I can remember listening to where there's a cover song in the first four tracks of the record. Yeah. Um, granted, is to me, anyway, I mean, I'm not from Sweden, so I don't know. Um, but this band is called Trazy, T-R-A-Z-Y. Um, they were a Swedish band. This song apparently came out in 1989. Um, so I went and listened to the original after I figured out that this was a cover. Um, and it's a pretty faithful track. I mean, it's, yes. it's, they pretty much covered it note for note. It's a nice, um, it's a nice send up of this song. Um, I'm not sure why they chose to do it and put it here. It probably is a personal thing to the band members. Um, but it does fit on the record. Like, you know, they kind of make it sound like something that just could be an original by them. Yeah, I mean, it definitely fits their style. I mean, it. it, it I looked it up, too, and it seems like it's a pretty obscure track, yeah. my guess is, even in Sweden. I mean, it, it seems like it was, like, from a demo cassette. Seems like, you know? yeah. That, 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 do you see the artwork for it? It's, like, got some, like, I think a lady, some, like, androgynous type, like, human holding a guitar-like thing, and it's all purple. Yeah. Like, it's very... Yeah, yeah. But that, I think that was from a compilation of, like... Oh, that was... Forgotten, yeah. forgotten Swedish, you know, hair metal hits or something. Like... That's cool, because, I mean, because I remember listening to it before I knew it was a cover. I'm like, well, this is kind of cool, like, the first three, but it didn't do as much for me. Um, yeah. But the fact that it's a cover is probably a compliment to Eric, but, you know, it's... I don't know. It's still a cool song. Um, you know, it's, it's it feels like it's a song they wrote. It's maybe that's why they did it. Or like this could be maybe this was a big influence to them when they were growing up. This particular song. I mean, I have songs like that that have really influenced my writing, and I would like yeah. you know would love to cover someday because of that. So that could very well be the the mentality here. But either way, I mean, it, it works pretty well here. Um, it's kind of. It makes it hard for me to critique it as a song when it's a cover because right. that's just strange. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. It, it fits here. Uh, you have anything more to add about that one? No, not really. Um, other than it's it's kind of a fun approach, I guess, to cover something that you know, if it hadn't been on this record, we would not be sitting here talking about Tracy. Yeah, so, so... I mean, that, that is a cool thing to do. That's the Metallica approach, right? I mean, there's lots of bands that I mean, Merciful Fate and. Diamond Head and Motorhead, even to an extent, can you know attribute a lot of their modern day financial success to Motorhead covering their shit on Garage Days. So, um, you know, that's it's a pretty cool thing to do if you have a band that 
it is really obscure that you like to you know feature them on your record. That's my, my guess is there's a my guess is there's a story there that you know maybe if we ever play with this band we can ask and yeah that'd be find cool out. because I mean it's the bands used to do that kind of thing in the seventies and sixties a lot more not so much in the metal world but the rock world like there was they would play different versions of you know pre-recorded songs and release them all the time so it's you know more commonplace in the history of rock music than you would think um so next we get sinfonia spelled s-i-n-f-o-n-i-a um which is like a little maybe one and a half two minute um instrumental neoclassical piece um yep what it is is it's actually a piece by uh, johan helmich roman Okay. who was a um, Swedish Baroque composer uh, who has been compared with uh, Handel, who's considered like the father of Swedish music. I can see so, that. It, it sounds like a Handel piece for sure. Yeah, I mean, it. it I was kind of asking myself when I was listening to it, like, is this an actual Baroque piece or just something that's yeah. really faithfully composed in the style of it? But I was asking yeah, it's, it's pretty much a, an authentic little Baroque symphonia. It's written for... In this case, guitar and continuo, mm-hmm. um, and it's executed just like that. Like if if Handel heard that, he would understand exactly what was going on, uh, except that it was played on electric guitar. You know, so it's an interesting little. Um, it, it shows, I guess, the mindset of um, I'm guessing the guitar player, who's you know clearly we get the neoclassical training. It is like an Ingve type little touch. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I, I think most uh, most guitar players in Sweden are, you know, kind of of the Ingve school, I believe. Yeah, but then this also indicates there's some real classical training there that they would choose to put something like this on the album. Um, yeah, I really liked it. Um, I thought it could have been either longer or just somehow a little bit more incorporated into what's going on around it. It kind of felt like an odd little interlude uh, rather than something that connects with what's on either end of it it does feel a little out of place and disjointed but if you are going to have this one recorded as is on the record i mean this is probably the place to put it um smack dab in the middle yeah Uh, i would either put a smack dab in the middle or you know almost like at the second last track but it was uh yeah like i said it's it's fun it's a little whimsical but you know it's it's an odd choice i guess to, to to do it and put it there with all these other songs but it, it, at the very least, it, it is a kind of a, I kind of just saw it as a palate cleanser, you know, because the yeah. last half of this album does change up a fair bit. So, you know, you got to have three upper, you know, up, you know three, four up-tempo songs, real kind of classic power metal rock and roll songs, and it's going to change pace a little bit. So this kind of acts as a little palate cleanser mid- midway. Yeah, and it does, like, for someone like me, who's a classical music performer and listener, like, it, it, it endears me to them just to hear that they're, you know, caring enough about something like this to put it out there and make it their own. Um, and and it's also just like a statement of like, yeah, we're capable of of performing at this legit level as well. So. Yeah. So next up comes my two favorite tracks on the record, um, Edge of a Dream, which this one is actually my favorite. Um, I love this intro. I think the intro is really cool. It yeah. gives me like, again, I get the Saxon vibes, almost like 747, you know, Strangers in the Night kind of thing. Um, it's like really cool. It's got this kind of guitar tapping um, melody that kind of repeats over and over again. Um, under then there's some tribal drums that kick in. There's some really nice bass accents. Um, the 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 riff the riffage almost has like a um, 
almost a six eight feel, I guess. Um, but it's just kind of one of the more of those uh, takes on four four timing, really. Um, it's kind of a different vibe. Um, the vocals on the chorus here just man, awesome. Just soaring over those vocals. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just like, and then of course for me, the thing that gets me is there's a big dropout. We get this really awesome bass and drum interlude. Um, but I just love that. There's cool guitar layers on it. There's some really emotional um, vocal accents that come at that part. You know, the guy's singing some really passionate stuff here. Um, the guitar intro is kind of re uh, reprised at this part too. So there's like a connection back to the beginning of the song, which I always enjoy. Um, yeah, this to me has all the elements that make heavy metal great to me. So I was very yeah. happy here. Oh, it's a great little song. Um... I don't think I have anything that you didn't say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just, I was just, this was, this was, I guess, the point in the album where I was really hoping there would be something that connected with me. And yeah. uh, this, this one and, and uh, just the next one really did. Um, do you have anything else to add to Edge of a Dream or should we move on to this? No, really. I mean, it's, it's kind of funny because it's one that didn't stand out to me as much in my listening. Now, hearing you describe it, I want to go back and listen more carefully. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed it. I just like there wasn't really any talking points that jumped out at me uh, okay. in the same way as some of the other ones. But yeah, that's uh, one of the one interesting thing. We all hear things a little bit differently. Um, all right. So that leads, leads us into our next track, which is uh, Let the Kingdom Burn. And this one is, I don't know, I guess I'd say it's probably tied for my favorite one on this record. Um, I, this one might actually even beat out Edge of a Dream. This one uh, has, it starts with a drum intro again for my ears. That always makes me perk up and take interest. Um, I love it. To me, it's a big, it's finally like a big change of pace on this album. Um, and yeah, like I, I put, I already put this one on my gym playlist. I was, you know, doing squats to it the other week and it gets me fired up enough to, to do, to, to do this. It's got this mid pace to it. This kind of epic feeling to it, even though it's not super long. And that like ascending pre-chorus riff that they do, man, that just gives me goosebumps when I listen to that kind of stuff. It's all cliche. It's super cliche, and it's all awesome. Like for me, this is a, this is kind of like almost a perfect song. Yeah, it's really well executed. This is the one where it's the one that really stood out to me when you were first playing me this album in your car on the way to practice. Yeah. Um, you know, with the because it's just got the big riff. It's more of a mid tempo kind of song. It's definitely like the heaviest song on the album, I think, in that right. it's like just got this big fat groove to it. Uh, it shows restraint that the way that they're holding down the tempo, not too slow, not too fast. It just has a lot of power to it. The title grabbed my attention too. let the kingdom burn. Just, I think it's got a cool vibe to it. Um, I like the lyrics to this one. It's a little bit more from like a, you know, revolutionary, like let's take this thing over kind of perspective. I, I like yeah, it. Exactly. Um, it's got all of the epic battle cliches in it, which is wonderful. Yeah. Um, it, and it's just like, you know, there's nothing like just a nice, big, slow or mid-paced riff to just really show what you can do and show the power. Like it, it's, it, it, everything's on the album had been relatively fast up until this point too. So it really uh, gives the ear some breathing room in a much needed way. You have to have a really good sense of melody to write these songs too, because, you know, they're a little sparser. There's not as much going on. Um, there's, you know, more room for error here, I guess. It yeah. was less room for error is actually the proper thing. There's more room in the wrist, but less of that is allowed to have error. You've got to have kind of cool stuff going on all the time because you can't rely on too, too much speed or flashiness or 
or, 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 or that kind of thing. You have to be really good with your melodies and your hooks, and they are here. Um, this cool little accented breakdown parts towards the end, um, yet another awesome solo, and it just kind of leads into the outro. And yeah, I don't know. Great tune. Everyone needs to hear this one. Then we had One by One, which is another, here's another title that I'm kind of tired of. Yes. It's just like, it yes. doesn't really mean anything on its own. And there's so many songs called this. And I think partially for that reason, I overlooked the song a little bit in the beginning, but uh, especially the last couple of times I listened to the album, I was like, wow, this song is actually really catchy. Um, in that classic Swedish way, uh, especially they do this like, simple uh like echoing thing taking one one by one by one you know yeah. it's 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 got this echo thing in the chorus and it's just like it's old swedish tricks it's like abba stuff but it yeah. really is effective um it makes for a really memorable melody and um yeah this one's a lot of fun in terms of just nice fast kind of power metal feel but still some heaviness and then that catchiness on top of it um this is a you know kind of the sleeper but i think um it's kind of starting to turn into one of the standouts for me it's a, it was a sleeper for me too i had the same thought i was like you know unless it's an immortal cover i really don't want to hear this right um, and you know my honestly my old band had a song called one by one that we wrote that was like 26 and i regret that title but <laughs> rather had to call it someone something else even if it says one by one in the song you don't necessarily have to call it that Right. Um, it definitely has that classic Euro power feel. I thought that the same thing. I was like, oh, here's the album helper. They needed something to flush it out. They plugged this in. But, you know, it, it is actually a very cool song. And, you know, it's not one to skip over. I thought it was going to be my skip over one, but it wasn't. But I really want to get into the next one. Because yeah. This is wild. So there's a song. This song is called Pegasus Fantasy, which already <laughs> Um, so I, I, put the, I, I heard this for the first time and I thought to myself immediately, well, it wasn't in English. So look, it's singing in Swedish. And then I was like, this does not sound like Swedish. Nope. That it's ain't Swedish. Completely different language altogether. So I listened back again and I was like, that's like a lot of, it sounds like an Asian language. Um, and it turns out it's Japanese. So this is a cover by a, a song that was apparently a big hit in Japan by a band called Megan. Mm. Have you listened to the original? I have. Yeah, it's the uh, it's the theme song to an anime. Yeah, it is. It's it, and it's very much like if you've ever watched an anime from the eighties, you've heard this genre of song before. Yes. You know, I think it even has a name. Like you know, anime theme songs. I think is a, is a genre that has a name in Japanese, and I just don't remember what it is because I'm not really a weeb. But no, but yeah, you know. I was, uh, yeah, I recognized the Japanese pretty much right away and was kind of impressed. Like, I'm, I don't speak any Japanese whatsoever. Uh, and I don't know uh, the air raid vocalist, Frederick. I don't know if he speaks any Japanese, but like to my ear, it sounded like it was clearly Japanese and it sounded pretty authentic to me. Yeah. It seems like he did a pretty good job replicating the sounds of that language. It does. And it's a bold move. I mean, I even if. I mean, even if it's not at this point, it would I guess be his third language, assuming he making the assumption that he learned sweet English before he learned Japanese. Like, if you're not an, a person who speaks an Asian language, like that's a bold move to try yeah. to sing in that style because everything's different. It's not like you know, 
you know, English or French or Spanish or anything like that. It's a completely different dialect. So it's a bold move, but I feel like they pulled it off. Um, I don't know that I'm, I'm a huge fan of the song myself. It, it's, it's it's one of those that like... It's a little... It's almost too goofy for me, and I like some goofy shit, but it's almost like a little too goofy for me. And I, I'll be honest, I fucking hate anime, so I, <laughs> I don't like, I don't enjoy anime culture or watching anime at all. I'm just, it's, I, I can't stand it. So, um, which is odd because I was in Skeletor, but <laughs> I, I also didn't write the lyrics, so it was, that wasn't my job. But I mean, it's, it was, it was, a, it was an interesting choice to me. I think. Obviously, they like this song, you know, whether they're big anime guys or not. They like the song for whatever reason. And they bold move for putting it on there. And, you know, it's, it's it's a cool choice. Might be a cool way to reach out to fans in Japan. I don't know. Maybe they maybe they have a fan base over there. Well, um, this, the bands will do gimmicky stuff like that sometimes, you know. And, and they, they, it might be something that's really near and dear to their hearts. It could be a gimmick, you know. Like it, yeah, it, but I mean, I think in this case, they put regardless they put a lot of work into it to do it right it's it seems pretty clear um and i'm, I'm kind of with you like i'm not sure about the song itself if only because it, it is distinctly a little bit of a different style from the rest of the album um you know that style of of like japanese anime songs it, it's a little frenetic yeah. you know like it's a, there's a lot of words there's a lot of um i noticed that like in this style they there's a lot of modulation like the pre-chorus is always like go through three different keys and then we get another key and another key and then here's the chorus and then you like go back to a, a verse that still has tons of words and a lot going on and then like yeah we go through a lot more modulations in the pre-chorus it just it there's a lot it's very um highly stimulating i guess yes exactly um, and, and it's in a way that's a bit different from like I mentioned Hammerfall earlier, like the ability to kind of just lay back on a simple riff and groove on it is pretty different than what's going on in this particular style, which is much more, um, I don't know, much more frenetic and much kind of like filling all the empty space with stuff. Yeah, it shows, shows another side of them musically, which is neat. Um, you know, so they, they're showing in some diversity and you know, like I said, it might be they could just be big anime fans or like, hey, we love this song. We want to we've been covering it. We want to throw it on the record or, you know, sometimes bands like, you know, that was that like that uh, that dwarven band that did that diggy diggy hole song for Minecraft or whatever. It is. <laughs> they did that one and it blew up and it was a huge hit for them. And, you know, it, it got like something like 50 million hits on YouTube or something. Like right. So, I mean, it could be an attempt to foray to that. And I'm not throwing shade by saying that. I'm just saying it, it just that could be the case or could not be the case either way. Like it didn't do uh, it much for me, but personally, but I do respect the choice and I think it's bold and um, you know, kudos for them for, for doing that and going for it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, it certainly, this is now we can easily listen through and never really have to get up to change the song, you know, and then this is no exception. Like it's a little bit different, but it's still catchy. It's still upbeat. It's still fun. Yeah, if it's on, I, I the many times, I mean, I listened to this many times. I mean, I didn't enough to get ready for the review, but I also listened to it a lot just for fun because I like it. And I never skipped this song. You know, I, whatever came on, I would just let it ride. So yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess that kind of brings us to the end. And I mean, yeah, Air Raid, um, my first foray into this band, it, it's got this album, um, you know, Fatal Encounter, it's enough to make me want to go back and check out their back catalog. So 
um, I'd say mission accomplished here for this one. And um, it's something I'm going to be revisiting, not going to be, okay, we've done the podcast and we're done with that. I'm going to keep this one in my rotation for sure. Yeah, it's a great way to restart the podcast too, because it's just, it's nice and quick. It's competently done. It's fun. Uh, It's got enough little details to keep us talking for, you know, half an hour about it. Um, And we can enthusiastically say we recommend it uh, to fans of old school heavy metal. Give it a shot. Yeah, absolutely. Well, all right. So that kind of brings us to the end of the podcast. Um, You know, we're we're not too much else going on in the world to talk about, you know. Um, Well, there is, but not that we need to discuss here. There's always lots going on in the world these days. Um, but we are going to be back soon. We're actually going to be pretty busy festival wise coming up, um, in, in Greyhawk here. And we're actually thinking of doing something unique and we're going to definitely do it for Hell's Heroes, but we're going to do a live review of all the bands that we, we managed to catch at Hell's Heroes, which hopefully will be all of them. Um, festivals, you, it's always hit or miss whether you're going to be able to catch all the bands or not, because, you know. The, the timing often, if there's two stages, the timing often between the, the bands is often quick. So you, there's a lot of running around. And when you're in a music venue from 3 p.m. until 3 a.m., you know, you often need a break. So we're going to we're gonna do our best to kind of report on what we see. And we're going to at least pick some bands that we're interested in to talk about. So it's going to be kind of like the first live review here on Keepers of the Flame of, of some stuff for Hell's Heroes. And we also have Hyperspace Metal Festival in Canada coming up in April. So we might be able to do the same thing for that, depending. Um, we'll see what we can or can't do, but definitely for Hell's Heroes. And we'll be back maybe even before then with another episode of Keepers of the Flame. So hey, it's good to be back talking to you people. And uh, thank you for tuning in and downloading. And we will talk to you next time. All right. Adios. Darkness falls and hope is alive.